This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Ty Belford. Goalkeeping was an inevitability for Ty as he hails from a family of proud shot stoppers. He started within the youth setup at Coventry City before earning a big move to Liverpool. He was also an England youth cap with both the under-16s and 17s. He featured regularly across the youth levels at Liverpool and the under-21s too, before joining Swindon Town in 2013. He was at Swindon for three seasons, playing 22 times in all competitions as he fought for the number one jersey against Wes Fodderingham and Lawrence Figaro. A lot happened during his Swindon career. Takeovers, new managers, playoffs, but it's never dull at Swindon Town FC, is it? My thanks goes to Ty for participating in this episode. He was brilliant. I hope you folks enjoyed it too. It's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy.
Hello, Ty. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, thank you for agreeing to take part in this. Absolute pleasure. Not a problem at all. So we've got loads of stuff uh, to get through, but we'll kick off with the normal question. Who did you support as a kid and who were your football heroes? As a kid, I was always an Aston Villa fan. Um, a lot of my family are Villa fans still. Um, I actually took my granddad to a game not long ago, to be honest. I think he nearly had an heart attack. <laughs> um, I took him to a 5 all game, which he's probably never going to see in his lifetime again. But yeah, as a kid, always growing up, was an Aston Villa fan. In terms of football icons, I've always, well, obviously with a family full of goalkeepers, I've always obviously looked up to people like my dad and my brother. But if I had to say a, prof- a professional goalkeeper, then always someone like Gianluigi Buffon was someone that I always looked at closely just due to the fact that he was very consistent with his performances and always shone out above the rest, really. Definitely not Mark Bosnich. Uh, definitely not Mark Bosnich. He was prone to an error. <laughs> um, it, although he was a very good goalkeeper, he was very prone to an error. Hmm. That 5-5 was the one that Tammy Abraham scored all those goals, wasn't it? Certainly was, mm. and then in the in the last few minutes, I think we had a goal disallowed. We hit the post twice. Uh, it, it was it was a, a crazy game to say the least. Your dad is Del Belford. Uh, he's yep. a very well respected uh, goalkeeper within non-league football and manager as well, due to his exploits at Tamworth, yep. Hinckley, Gresley, and beyond. What, yep. what was it like being raised within grassroots football? I think it was a big thing for me. I always used to, as a young kid, want to just go and watch games and games and games, whether that would be from Sunday league to, to non-league to professional games. And it was installed within me, if you like. I was constantly asking my dad, can I go to football with you? Can I go to football with you? And I was desperate to go and watch games. I travelled to places that took two, three, four hours to get there just to go and watch. And I was desperate. And I'd probably be, you know, standing there with fifty fans just to go and watch him play, and it was things like that that I remember really. And I've always enjoyed being around football, and it's it's something that I've I loved as a kid, just going and watching games. And your brother Cameron, of course, uh, ex Swindon, uh, is a goalkeeper with your dad at Nuneaton now, and yep. I believe you play for your brother Courtney, who's manager yep. of Hinkley, who was also a goalkeeper. Yeah, that's correct. So, a bit crazy, really, because. Um, Actually, me and my dad and Cameron were all reunited last year at um, Nuneaton. There was a bit of a financial um, mm. difficulty there last year. And I offered, obviously, my services to go and help them out and just sit on the bench for free just because um, the budget was obviously so um, so small that they had no funds. So I said, look, you know, I'll go and help the, the football club out. It's local to me. It's It's a football club that's obviously close to me in terms of my family and stuff like that. So um, I went and helped them out last year and and said that I would sit on the bench there for free. So I then had a call off my brother saying that he was taking the Hinkley job this year. He said to me, you interested in playing there? I said, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'll come and help you out. It, it is, it's a situation where I think it was a case of family comes first. And again, it's another club that's been been quite close to the family in, in the sense that my dad played there and, and managed there. And so I think it was, um, it was a case of going and helping out my brother and um, seeing what we can do this year there. Did any of you flirt with any other positions? Funny enough, as a young kid, as a as a very young kid, I was a centre midfielder. I actually went to Birmingham City on trial as a centre midfielder and Coventry City. Um, and then didn't really work out. As you can probably tell, I wasn't the fittest in the world. So it, <laughs> I think it was inevitable that I was going to be a goalkeeper. So uh, in the end, that's where I ended up. 
So we've got Birmingham. We know about Coventry. We'll talk about Coventry in just a minute. What are your early memories of playing football as a junior that sort of, you don't just become academy ready or professional ready overnight. So, so what, what are your memories of those early phases of football when you're just getting into it for the first time? I just always remember wanting to play for my local team. I was actually at a um, a local team that we were just winning absolutely everything. It was a local team called Yenton Bears when I was only a young kid and we were winning absolutely everything. And I thought to myself, do I want to be in a team that's just going to win, 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 win? And that, like I said, at this time, I was only playing centre midfield. So I ended up actually signing for the team at the bottom of the league. And um, just as a challenge for myself, because I just wanted to be in a team where I had more to do and I was more involved in the games and we ended up doing all right. I think we ended up second in the league in the end. We actually signed a few decent players and ended up second in the league. So we had a good go at it. Um, but I just always remember enjoying my football, you know, with my mates and and stuff like that. I think at a point I had a very long throw. So I ended up taking throw-ins, corners, penalties, a, a freak, literally everything. It, it was crazy, really. I just remember running from one end of the pitch to the other to take the throw-ins and it was crazy, but as you say, as a young kid, you just got to enjoy your football. It's that's what it's all about at that age. I think when we're kids, we all have a a mild flirtation with being a goalkeeper. What do you remember the moment that you thought that oh, this is the one for me, or was it just purely like that family sort of side of things? So I just said it was inevitable. Really, I think that I was going to be a goalkeeper. It was just it was a case where I was actually playing in a tournament. It was a local tournament to me, and we'd actually got into the final. I think it was a semi-final, in fact. We got into the semi-final and the game was... We were drawing the game, nil-nil. And it went to penalties and the lad said, Todd, do you want to go and goal for the penalties? I said, listen, I'm not... I don't want to go and goal for the penalties. I'm no goalkeeper. Go on, mate, go on. You go and goal. I said, all right. So I ended up saving every penalty and scoring the winner. And funnily enough, the Coventry City scout was there. And he said to me, you know, do you fancy coming into Coventry for a trial? As a go-? I said, listen, I'm not a goalkeeper. I'm a centre midfielder. He said, I know, but I can see something in you as a goalkeeper. I said, I don't have any interest in it. So uh, we went home. And I, I spoke to my dad and my dad said, son, you know, you've got a good opportunity there. You you, you know, I said, but listen, dad, I don't want to be a goalkeeper. He said, well, why don't you go see what it's like? You know, if you don't enjoy it, you know, you can always turn out and say, look, you know, you give it a go. You don't, you didn't enjoy it. So anyway, I went into Coventry and stayed there for a few weeks. And I actually quite enjoyed it working with, you know, some decent goalkeeper coaches and, which which I really enjoyed and I ended up signing there and, uh, and the rest was history really there. I, I really didn't expect to turn into a goalkeeper in the space of four weeks. <laughs> I just love this idea of uh, this kid going, ah, no, I, I'm not a goalkeeper, mate. Don't worry about it. And then, and then all these goalkeepers that play these tournaments out there who are desperate to get trials and noticed and then... I just go in for a penalty shootout and score the winner as well. We'll score. Yeah, it was, it, it was just crazy. Like I said, I, I think I think nowadays the 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 scouts see these things in that keepers. Are, you know, people are good with their feet. You can turn them into a goalkeeper. All this, you know, because the modern game has changed so much. It's mm. a lot of the goalkeepers are now tending to probably use their feet more than they'll use their hands. So it was a thing where he's got something. Can we turn him into a goalkeeper? And you know, it, it was. It was crazy, really. But like I said, I really enjoyed it. And, and, and it obviously paid off in the end. So how long were you at Coventry for? I was at Coventry from the age of about 12 to 14. I was only there a couple of years. I worked there and with a couple of goalkeeper coaches. I worked with Paul Reynolds, who's now at Burton Albion. 
I worked with Kevin Paul, who was obviously a previous goalkeeper. Yeah. Very, very good. I trained with the first team a good few times. With Tim Flowers was there at the time. So, you know, I've, I've had some good experiences in terms of goalkeeping coaches. Um, it was it was very, very good. Kevin Poole is the one that, that pricked my ears up because he played in goal for Leicester when Swindon beat them at Wembley in 1993. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, he, and he went on to play forever, didn't he? I think he was about 50 by the time he, he did, was... He did, absolutely. A... He played a lot of games. I remember him coming to, tra- coming to training and doing this coaching. I said to him, Kev, surely you're still not going. And he used to say to me, there's still life in the old dog, yeah. And I thought to myself, you know what, fair play. Mm-hmm. And he was fit as a fiddle, mind. And I mean fit as a fiddle. He, he looked in great shape constantly. And I thought, that's just why he's playing forever. But another one, like you say, is like Brad Friedel just carried on playing. He just thought he was around for years and years and years. But they obviously, you know, they look after themselves. So credit to them. Most important thing is Paul Bowden gave him the eyes and he went the wrong way. So lovely. Absolutely. <laughs> Coventry City... Massive club going through hard times over the last decade or so. How did they sort of make you this reluctant centre mid who just so happened could play potentially in goal to a goalkeeper that could create interest from teams like Liverpool? I think it was a case of I had um, I had a day release from school, so I used to go in every Tuesday. It was and and work with the first team and do a double session. So we do an academy session in the morning, then I work with the first team in the afternoon, vice versa, or, or the other way around, whichever way suited, really. And I got the opportunity to work with, with a lot of big names when I was uh, when I was younger, like Casper Schmeichel coming on loan, got to work with him when I was young. And I think stuff like that rubs off on you. And you just, it makes you hungrier for, to do well, especially when you get the, you know, you get the opportunity to trade with the likes of these people. And Tim Flowers, who's been an absolute legend and, you know, in Kevin Paul, like you say, and it was brilliant for me. And I just, I thrived on it at that young age that I loved it so much. I just wanted to learn. I was like a sponge, just soaking everything up. And it was fantastic. And no Oggy? I didn't get to work with Steve Vinovich. Oh. I wasn't there at that time. He was actually, um, he, he must have bypassed me at the, at the point that I left. Mm. So I didn't get to work with Steve. My brother actually worked with Steve because Cameron was there when um, as a young kid. So he worked with Steve Vinovich, but I didn't get to. So when did Liverpool begin to show interest in you? I was, I'd actually had a bit of interest from a, a couple of other clubs. I went to Stoke. Um, Stoke showed a bit of interest in me when I was when I was at Coventry. I went there and had a had a game there and was playing for Stoke actually in a behind closed doors. Well, it was a it was a game. I think it was a tournament. In in fact, it may have been. They said there was a scout there from Liverpool and was actually stood next to my dad at the time and said, I, I, I like that goalkeeper. He said, well, funny enough, it's my son. He said to him, how does he feel about coming up to Liverpool for a trial? And he said, um, yeah, yeah, fantastic, mate. He'll, you know, he loved that. So um, my dad just, after the game, I did well in the game. And my dad said to me, um, how do you feel about going up to Liverpool for a trial? I said, I thought he was joking, obviously. I said, no, I think... We, you're obviously joking, aren't you? He said, no, 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 seriously, we, you know, there's an opportunity to go to Liverpool. I said, right, OK. And then, so be it, you know, I end up at Liverpool um, a couple of weeks later and I think I stayed at Liverpool for two, three weeks and then I got um, I got a call in the office. I thought, well, that's me done. I'm going I'm gonna end up going back now, back, you know, back to Stoke or Coventry. Or, but they, they, they ended up offering me a contract there. So it, it was it was a strange, strange, strange time. But... It all happened so quickly that I had to. Um, they actually said to me, "I'm going to have to move schools." I was only 14, coming up 15 at the time. So they said to me, "You're going to have to move schools and do your last year of school in in Liverpool." 
So I ended up moving up as a kid um, and signing up there and, and moving schools and everything. It, it, it happened very quickly. There's loads to take from that. So we'll, we'll go with the, the last point about schools. Yeah. So it's so sort of, when, when somebody says that, oh, I had to move schools, I had to go from Coventry yeah. to, to Liverpool, it sounds so yeah. natural and so, well, it is what it is. But surely that was a big deal at the time as well, just from a friendship point of view, you know. Absolutely. I think people don't realise how big of a step that is in your life. You're in your last year of school, you don't know anybody, you've got, uh, this day and age, you know, it's things to worry about, like your grades and stuff like that, to have to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was a big time for me to move and, and to move all my schoolwork over from one school to the other and, and meet new friends, as you say. And it, it's all a big a big learning process for me. And moving in with the foster parents at the time, I had to as well. So it wasn't like I was moving up with my family. I was unfamiliar to the surroundings that I was in. So it was a big step at such a young age. Back in the day, we always used to hear about pro footballers pretty much sacking off the academics, but now we're getting more and more footballers who are academically high achievers as well. How did you find it yourself? I'm not asking you to tell me what grades you got or anything like that, but when you're you're focusing to play for one of the biggest clubs in the world, potentially, and you also have to do your maths GCSE, how, how is it for a teenager to juggle those responsibilities? I think it's when you're at such a big club, it's say so difficult. However, you know there is the right people in in the club, and you know the fully respects go to people who are more than welcome to name, like Phil Roscoe at at Liverpool, who was the education and welfare officer. You've got Clive Cook, who was there, and they were fantastic people who I'm still in touch with now. You know, and they and they would help you in anything that you needed, i.e further educations, diplomas in sports and all this sort of stuff. So I was the one I was one of them who really tried to nail that down and, and do stuff after training rather than waste my time going home and playing the Xbox and doing stuff like that. I would go into the education education room and start, you know, in the classroom and do bits and, and try and learn other things and I ended up doing my diploma in sport and and ended up doing all my GCSEs and passing everything. So in in the end, it benefited me massively, and, and you know I was grateful for them for the opportunity that you know they give me to to get all that stuff done. And and it, it's brilliant. I would advise any young pro or any young player to to definitely take their education seriously because you never know what's going to happen in football. Commanding position here. Andy Williams has taken over penalty duties after Michael Smith's failure against Fleetwood. And a chance to add to his tally. Williams stays cool and Swindon on course for the summit of League One. Two-week trial. I always let guests offer this question because they always say, well, I went on trial and so-and-so and that was that. What on earth do you do in a two-week trial? I think a lot of it is in terms of, obviously they want to see you in a match situation. That's a given. Um, so I probably played a couple of games. A lot of obviously goalkeeper training because they want to see you one-to-one. I got to work with John Achterberg, who's obviously the goalkeeping coach at the moment. He's still the first-team goalkeeping coach there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Morris was the um, academy goalkeeping coach, which I got to work with also. And trained with the first team a couple of times, obviously, at the time. And, and you know, things like that are priceless. So it was brilliant. It was brilliant for me, really. It was it was a it was a crazy experience, but 
but absolutely fantastic. What do you think is more important, the trial 90 minutes or the training element? I would say the game situation due to the fact that I've seen players who are absolutely terrible in training yet can turn it on on a match day. And, it, you know, I think never judge a book by its cover in terms of training because I've seen players, like I say, who, who, who don't look that great in training and, and then come to a match day and they just turn it on out of nowhere. So, you know, I would definitely say the game in that respect. Training at 14-15 against first-team players, is that a test of mental strength or is it ability? Um, I would say mental strength more than anything due to the fact that you know that you're coming up big against big players who are, who are big-name players. I think it's more a text, test of your character than anything. Physically, I was always quite a big, strong lad. I was never... I was never a dainty little lad, so I don't physically it was ever going to be a problem. I mm. think it was just a mental thing of going, right, I'm going in here with the focus that I'm going to do what I can do, believe in my own ability and just go for it. I, I don't think it was a it was a case of worrying about anything. It was a case of, like you say, of just going in there and, and doing what I know I'm capable of. Mm. And you play a lot of football within the Liverpool youth setup and the under-21s as well. How mm. difficult is it to impress at such a big club, playing in a position where really there are limited places compared to other positions? Very difficult. I think I was always battling it out at the time. I think it was Jamie Stevens mm-hmm. uh, was obviously an ex-Swindon player as well. Uh, I got on really well with Jamie. I'm still very, very good mates with Jamie. I'd probably say he's one of my best mates. Um, we still talk quite a lot and massive respect to him. I know he's obviously going through a little bit of an injury at the moment, but what a great lad. It, it, it was tough, you know, I can't deny that. There was probably about seven, eight, maybe nine keepers from my pathway to the first team. So it was it was a long, long way. But, you know, you've, you, you've just got to do what you can do and, and keep ticking off the games and, and impressing where you can. And that's that's what I tried to do at a young age. Yeah, I was looking at the um, senior and youth goalkeepers during your time there and of course Pepe Reina is number one you've got yeah. Brad Jones Peter Galatsky yeah. I probably butchered that surname uh, Diego yeah, no, no, uh, Diego uh, Cavalieri was there Doni yeah, of yeah. Roma the Roma goalkeeper amazing yeah. Um, yeah. you had the French guy Charles yeah. Dan- Charles Dan- Dan- yeah. yeah. and then you've got the youngsters like Martin Hansen Dean Buzanis Dill Chamberlain yeah. so an absolutely yeah. incredible pathway you do play a lot I was looking at your stats and and you kind of like you said you share your responsibility with Jamie Stevens, Danny yeah. Ward's there as well. Um, yeah. What did you did you did you get to train with the seniors or was it divided into two or three different? We were at different um, locations. However, we'd get we'd get to training in the in the morning at um, at Kirby, which is the academy block, and then we we'd get a call saying, "Look, you know, you've got to go up to the first team. You're training at Melwood with the first team today." So we then get a taxi up as we're driving we'd, we'd jump in with them and we'd get a lift up there and we'd end up training with the first team that morning it was literally just the case of waiting for the call to get you know to go up there and you know hopefully you go up there you impress and and you stay up there that mm. that, that was that was the aim and under 18s your coach is Rodolfo Barrow is that correct yeah that's correct he's yeah. now at Man City with Pep Guardiola <laughs> and your teammates include Raheem Sterling Jordan yeah. Iber um, or eBay or Ibe, whatever, and yeah. uh, Brad Smith, who went on to play for Swindon for a wee bit as well. Yeah. What, what were your highlights during that time as a Liverpool player? We had some great times there. I mean, we we did trips to like the Caribbean with all the lads, um, and did and played against St Vincent over there. 
you know, we had we had some great times there. Good uh, runs in the Youth Cup. Unfortunately, we lost out to Man United in that um, at Anfield. But you know, we had we had massive games in. You know, like the we did like an under nineteen Champions League, if you like. It's called it at the time was called the Next Generation mm. Tournament, and yeah. we experienced things like playing in in massive grounds like Sporting Lisbon and places like that. And you know, there were there were massive experiences at a young age. But we, like I said, we were fearless. We had a great side. Um, the list goes on in terms of names. And of course, you represented England at under sixteen and yeah. seventeen level. And I think you, although you didn't play, you went to the under seventeen World Cup in twenty eleven as well. Yeah, that's correct. I um, I got a call saying that obviously I'd had a call up for England, which I was delighted. It was it was actually about five of us at the time, I think. So it felt like it was half of the um, half of the team was going to be Liverpool, but a couple of lads from Everton as well. So we a lot was coming from up north at that point. So I think we had we had a few travelling away, and then you know I kept getting calls to go away with England. I, I, I travelled a few times with them. Um, I enjoyed it. It was great, and I just kept my, you know, kept my head down at Liverpool, thinking that if I do well here, I'll get back in the England squad again. And I got a call to go away, like you say, to the um, to the World Cup, and that was a a crazy experience. We were away for I think six weeks in Mexico, so it it was a crazy experience, really. But you know, one that will stay with me for a long time. Are you still in touch with with, from, with players from that sort of experience, or is it kind of they just sort of fade into history for you at that stage? Yeah, I'm still in touch with a couple of players. Um, a couple, really, not not many. Like I say, I still probably speak to Jamie. I still speak to a couple of lads in in the in the team at the academy. Connor Cody, I still speak to. He's a great lad. Um, quite a few, really. Yeah, I'm still in touch with the, with a few players, and I still stay in touch with the staff there. Like I said, um, the education guys up there, I still stay in touch with. They're all they're all great people up there. In 2019 terms, 19 years old is still really young in Premier League development terms. Nowadays, goalkeepers, they're, they're kept around well into their early to mid-20s with loan spells of plenty coming here and there. Mm-hmm. Was your departure from Liverpool at the age of 19 a surprise or was it on the cards? I think it was on the cards. I needed to... It was always a conversation that was had. Now, I was... Jamie actually, Jamie Stevens actually went out alone to Airbus and a couple of other teams lo- around that sort of area that he was allowed to go out and get games. Now, they wanted me to stay around and play in the under twenty ones and the youth team and and, you know, and whatever else, but I was desperate to get out alone. I was so hungry to play first team men's football. It it was inevitable that I wanted to play. I I didn't really want to stay in as an under twenty one player. I'd played so many games yet felt so inexperienced that I was going to get thrown in the deep end at some point and think, whoa, this is a shock to the system because it's not it's not it's not realistic playing an under twenty one game when you get thrown in a conference game or a league one, league two game and it's it's a totally different scenario. So I was desperate to get out on loan but but couldn't. So we we had a conversation about it, and you know we we did come to an agreement that you know I would leave the football club, and obviously I had options elsewhere, and and then Swindon was my destination that you know was was out of the clubs. It does seem much harder for young goalkeepers to secure work experience loans at, at large clubs. I mean, 
I spoke to Lawrence Vigaru and he went to Hyde because they were literally one of the highest ranking teams that needed a goalkeeper and he was willing to do that. Um, we had a player on trial from Liverpool this summer, Shamal George. He's just joined yeah. Marine on loan, for example, yeah. because yeah. I mean, which is which is much lower than he probably would want to would want to go. But just to yeah. get those minutes. It, it just seems so difficult and it's hard to blame some goalkeepers to just sit like quite a few of the Chelsea goalkeepers have done it over the years where they've, they've, they've had six years as a pro but never got close to the first team. It, it just seems like a vicious cycle to me that, that it's you'll get criticised if you don't go out on loan but you also just don't want to go too far down the, the pyramid either. Absolutely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I know Shamal in terms of he was there when I was there and he was only a young kid at the time and, and come through and looks like you're making a pathway and then all of a sudden, you know, goes out on a loan to Carlisle, doesn't quite happen for him, goes out on another one to Tranmere, doesn't quite happen for him. Now you find yourself at Marine. It's 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 hard on the system because, you know, as a young kid, who's going to take a punt on you as a manager who's... Who, who hasn't got a goalkeeper who's inexperienced? Not many because you find yourself six, seven games in with an inexperienced goalkeeper. Are you going to take that chance because your job's on the line? So it, not many people in terms of management will take a punt on a young goalkeeper and willing to willing to give him an opportunity to get a run of games. It's I always say from a goalkeeper's point of view, you need a run of 10 games to get, to get a good rhythm of... People don't understand. You can do what you want on on the, on the training pitch, but you come onto a match day, it's a totally different scenario. You've got scenarios of through balls, crosses into the box, all these sorts of things, decision making, when to come, when to stay, and all these processes go through your mind. You can't you can't replicate that in training because it's not at match tempo. It's it's very difficult, and like I said, you know, it is difficult for young goalkeepers these days to. You, you do find yourself dropping down the leagues to, to go and get games, but they are vital. You need them at a young age. A deep delivery. And it's back across goal. And it's off the line. Incredible. Swindon players were celebrating. The bench was celebrating. But the ball didn't cross the line. Is it Shaden Logan on the line? It certainly is. What an incredible clearance because he's actually stepped off the post that he was marking. And it goes again. This time it's in. Aiden Flint. Swindon Town have rescued it and Brentford are on the floor in their own backyard again. So before you joined Swindon, were there any other permanent options for you on the table? There were a few options elsewhere. We were, I was exploring a few things. Um, I looked at other clubs. I went and actually trained with another club. Uh, I went to Warsaw to train with Neil Cutler. As I actually knew the, uh, I actually knew Neil from working previously with my brother at, at Berry. Um, we had a good chat there, it, you know, and, and and things didn't really work out. We, you know, we we had a chat about a few things, but for whatever reason, didn't work out. Swindon then come up. I had a chat there with the chairman. That my agent was was speaking with the chairman, and then and then it just materialised from there. Really, I was I was very interested because at the time I was. I was told that there was going to be a pathway. The current goalkeeper, obviously, at the time, Wes Fodrigan, which was, you know, was brilliant to work with, by the way, and what a great lad, was looking to move on. That was the information that I got given. 
and that that there would be a pathway for me to step in when he does go. So that was obviously the the be all and end all beyond. It was for me to get in at a very good club at a very good level. So you know, I was I was delighted to sign. Did you know anything about Swindon? Before? I did obviously with 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 Jamie Stevens filling me on. I did speak to Jamie previous to signing. Said you know what do you think to the club? Is it a good club? What's it like? Da 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 da. And he said to me, look, mate, you know, it was a brilliant club. I love my time there. The people are great. The fans are good. You know, the, all the academy staff are brilliant because obviously he was more so with the academy. Um, but obviously there had, there had been a lot of changes since then in terms of first team. I think he worked with Paul Bowden at the time and the academy when he was there. Obviously that had changed. So there had been a lot of changes. But, you know, from what I'd heard from Jamie, I was I was more than, um, more than happy to, to sign a contract there. Well, you linked up with your dad's old teammate, Mark Cooper, at Swindon yeah. in the summer of 2013. You told the press when you joined that, I'm not going to put any pressure on myself to do anything, but if I can get some first-team appearances, then that would be brilliant. I found that really interesting because whenever we get new signings, when everyone gets new signings, they're always like, I'm going to play in the first team and I'm going to be great. But you seem much more relaxed in your rhetoric. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it was a case of not being too full of myself, not thinking that, you know, I was going to come in, come in here and play straight away. I had to realise the size of the club and, and, and you know, and I had to realise the stature of what was in front of me. And that was Wes Fodringham, who had played a lot of games and, and was well-respected. So, you know, I wasn't going to go in there and say, right, I'm going to go and get the shirt that's mine because I knew that wasn't going to be the case. I had to work hard and, I was waiting patiently to take my chance when it come, and you know that was that was my thinking behind it that I was going to get my head down, work hard, and see what materialised. Behind the scenes, and as is the norm at Swindon, you arrived during a period of transition and uncertainty. We're still adjusting to how close we were to promotion the se- uh-huh. the year before. The the new owners were unfamiliar still, and they had the task of reducing the wage bill. Might be why Fodderingham Foddering, was looking to go. Kevin McDonald leaves just before the season starts as well. What was the vibe like in the camp when you first turned up? It was a little bit up in the air, obviously, with us not knowing if Mark Cooper was going to get the job. He had told us that he was going in for it. However, we weren't too sure whether he was going to get it permanently. Now, obviously, because of the pedigree he had, uh, wasn't massive in terms of what you would think a League One manager would have in terms of experience. So we were all a little bit uncertain as to what was going to happen in that sense. However, you know, we stuck together as a group, uh, worked hard behind the scenes, and you know, and albeit, I think you know, we come good in the end. Yeah, I would, I would certainly say at the time when when Mark Cooper got the job, first I thought he got the job as assistant to be next in line. It felt that when when Kevin McDonald's uh, appointed him, but yeah. as you as you mentioned, Mark Cooper before Swindon had had a reputation of being a manager for firefighting for teams that were dying or certainly struggling. So it, it was a little bit of concern. I mean, I don't think many of us really took into consideration what sort of philosophy he would bring to Swindon or anything like that. They would just You just see Mark Cooper's career and you think, oh boy. Absolutely. I think like you said, you've hit the nail on the head in the sense that, you know, from a fan's perspective, everybody wants a big name, you know. <laughs> Especially when you've had someone like a Paolo Di Canio, you think I want I want another name, a name. You know, at the end of the day, a name attracts fans, and when somebody's seen that name, they've probably thought, oh. But on the flip side, like you said, what he was doing behind the scenes and the coaching staff were doing behind the scenes was fantastic, and it was a plan that was coming together 
that was inevitable that we were going to be a good side. We could just see it. It was all bedding in nicely and we looked a good, strong... I think we looked fantastic behind the scenes. It was all just a case of when it was going to click. Mm. Your first goalkeeping team, as, as mentioned, West Fodringham. There was also Lee Bedwell. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Fraser Digby is on coaching duties yeah. when you first turn up. What what was your rapport like with these guys in those early days? Fantastic. They're all great lads, all very welcoming. I actually got on very well with Fraser. And what a lovely, lovely bloke and an absolute legend of the football club. And it was just a privilege, really, to to, to be working with him. And I used to... I used to pick at his head really and, and always want to learn you know that that experience that he's had is you know is fantastic and, and to learn off someone like Fraser who's who knows what it means especially to the football club that it, it was brilliant to work with and you know another good another great goalkeeper Lee Bedwell I enjoyed working with Lee as well and and Wes was brilliant to work with again we you know we all used to bounce off each other we had a great atmosphere in there and it was brilliant it was fantastic You've said it's all about Wes, really, and it's about finding your time to waiting patiently to to make your make your appearance, make any appearances in the first team and things like that. Were you tasked to seriously push Wes? I know you said that you know Wes might leave, but when that was apparent that it wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. was your objective to try and take the number one shirt, or was it to be patient and act as understudy? A hundred percent. As soon as I know what what the um, situation was with Wes, I had to sit. I had to sit down and I said with Fraser, I said, "Look, I've now got to nail down working harder, working on things, and getting myself in the first team because I believe in my own ability. I believe I can push Wes out the team." That was my thought process at that time. I wasn't then there to to add up the numbers. I'd been there a little bit of time then. I'd added, you know, I'd I'd like to think that I'd I'd got my way in and bedded myself in and it was a case of then going and getting the shirt and trying to get it off Wes and like I said he, I like to think that we bought the best out of each other in the sense that he, he churned out some very good performances he absolutely did and I mean it's no major surprise that he went on to bigger and better things but I'm still kind of disappointed that he's sat on the bench up in Rangers and that he didn't or hasn't moved on since but it's a big club you can't deny the fact that he was always going to move on somewhere. Oh. He was he was very consistent with his performances. I would like to say, you know, and like I said, I think like we had a very very good relationship. Me and Wes, we on and off the pitch, you know, we spent a lot of time with each other off the pitch as well. And like I said, I like to think we brought the best out of each other. He certainly did very well, and I was hoping that he was going to stay around in terms of help for me and stuff like that. You know, it was great working with him. Um, although obviously I wanted to play at the time, it, it was good to work with Wes. But I obviously needed my opportunity, but, you know, I suppose we'll speak about that a little bit later. Sure, we will. Now, given the amount of effort, sacrifice and expectancy placed on young footballers, how much of a relief is it when you make that senior debut like you did against Plymouth Argyle in the Football League trophy? I wasn't actually expecting to play, if I'm going to be honest. I, I just thought that you know the manager was going to stick with the with with the same team. I wasn't expecting any changes, um, but then obviously you know he let me know in the week when we were doing the team shape that I would be playing in the in the uh, Johnson's Paint Trophy of in every game. And he said to me, "Look, you know you will play in the trophy, uh, you know, so you can get some game time." I said, "You know, I was I was prepared to play. I was eagerly excited and looking forward to it." And it was just really a case of getting my first team opportunity. And like I said, I was 
thrilled when it come around and really grateful. And do you remember much about the game? I remember obviously we can we can I remember conceding very early on, yeah. which I thought, oh no, here we go. If I'm right, I think it was a wicked deflection off Darren Ward, but it, I, I thought, oh, here we go straight from there. But you know, the game went well. I thought I did well in my first game. Obviously, as a young, inexperienced goalkeeper coming into my first professional game, mm. and I felt I was going to kick on from there. I, you know, it gave me a bit of a bit between my teeth of first team football, a little taste of what it's like, and no, I enjoyed it. It was great. Rose deliver on this occasion. Oh, it's a wonderful header, and Swindon have the lead thanks to Sean Morrison. First blood is red blood in the West Country derby. Well, season one for you goes as expected, really, as a as a as a sort of first teamer for the first time. You're on football league trophy duties, but you lose your place to Wes for the semi-finals. Um, against Peterborough, having played against Plymouth, Wickham and Stevenage. The latter included two saves in the penalty shootout as well. In all honesty, how frustrating or or annoying is it to lose your place at this point of the competition when Wembley is so close? It was very frustrating. I'd sulk if it was me. Yeah, I wasn't ever going to sulk because it's not in me to do it. Mm. I always remain professional due to the fact that I would never want to jeopardise any of my teammates or... I was always ultimate professional in that sense that I would never do that. I would never, you know, ruin anybody else's warm up or, you know, by being unprofessional and, and sulking. But I wasn't happy, even more so when it went to penalties, because I'd like to say I've got a bit of a, when it comes to penalties, I've got a good ratio in the penalty sense. So I was actually very close to being bought on for the penalties. Mm. Um, but the decision wasn't made and and the manager, for whatever reason, didn't do it. But, I was very close to being bought on. The advice from the side was to bring me on for the penalties, but it obviously didn't happen. Your ratio was good at penalty shootouts as well. I think there was a couple at Swindon and both involved wins, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And then even when I went, obviously I imagine we'll speak about it later on, but even when I went on loan at Southport, I saved, I think, two in, uh, two out of three penalties there. So, And I've always had a good ratio in terms of penalties. I do, well, for whatever reason that is, I've got a knack for it, but... Yeah, so I was a bit disappointed, but at the end of the day, I had to respect the manager's decision and, and react in the right manner. From beginning to end, what was your relationship with Mark Cooper like? Uh, very good in terms of at the start, we we were fine. I think more so towards the end, you know, he couldn't really give me the answers that I wanted in terms of why I wasn't playing. I wanted more from him in terms of what I was asking from him. I just wanted an answer as to why I wasn't really playing and he couldn't really give me one, but you know, it is what it is. Um, some managers will sit down and explain with you and, and go through things. Some managers won't. And, you know, that's just the case. He does seem, personality-wise, given the conversations I've had on this podcast and conversations and articles that I've read beyond Swindon Town, is Mark Cooper's quite marmite in the sense that you're either on board with him or doesn't quite go as to plan. But there was always a rumour that Luke Williams really ran the show in football terms during that time in Swindon. Is that unfair on Cooper? Um, I wouldn't say so. I think the sense that Luke took a lot of the training sessions is probably where that's come from. Mm. Um, Luke did have a lot of hands-on approach in terms of the players and tweaking things and, and stuff like that. He did take a lot of the responsibility in terms of uh, the sessions and stuff like that. So I can see where that's come from. 
However, obviously, Mark did have his, his say in areas. and So, probably not unfair as such, but, you know, I can see where people have come from with that, yeah. Mm. Looking at your teammates from that first season, it was an, on tra- it was an odd transition of old Decanio era and yeah. what Lee Power was trying to implement as a director at that stage with the Spurs players, Luongo, Byrne, Pritchard, Mason, Bathroom. Yeah. Um, the relationship that was growing with Spurs didn't go down too well with the fans because we were worried, or I wasn't worried, but as a, as a collective, we were worried that we were turning into Spurs B. Seems a bit uh-huh. daft now because these are quality players that will come into us. <laughs> Did that work behind the scenes? I think so. You know, we were under the impression that we'd had the... Lee obviously had a very close contact in Tim Sherwood at um, Tottenham at the time. And, you know, we we were under the impression that we were getting the lads in from Spurs and they were one of us, really. I think the moves were loan to sign a permanent. So they were only loans at the moment why there were a case of either their contracts ending or whatever situation it was. Um, till they become permanent, I think it was a case that majority of them were always going to be a permanent in the end. It was just when it was going to happen. So we were we we were we were all fine with it. The lads got on great with each other, and they were all great lads. Yeah, I think if um, as long as it like cliques don't form, I think there's great logic in bringing five players from the same setup because then they they know how to play alongside each other. Of course, that can also create issues with with like I said, cliques and stuff like that. But it just seems to make sense to me, but I think I think that's the way football will go eventually. I think teams will sort of have arrangements with with bigger clubs, but not like in a feeder sense. Just in a will supply you players. Yeah, I think so. Like you say, as long as you don't have that clicky sense where where they all just stick together and stay in their own little group, which it wasn't the case at all. In fact, I I formed very very good mates uh, with Jack Bartram, and um, he was actually my flatmate at Swindon. So everybody had their own flatmates as such. So it was a case where, you know, it wasn't very clicky. It was it was actually a very good together group. We we used to go out a lot in terms of go out and have a meal with each other, or we used to go bowling or play snooker, you know, all sort of things like that, Xbox around the you know, around the lad's house and we'd have a FIFA night in and all them sorts of things. You know, we all had, we had a great team spirit and I think that was, you know, it showed on the pitch really. I think it would be sort of kind of correct to say that you and Jack had similar experiences at Swindon in the sense that he also struggled to establish himself, but he played pretty well when he was, when he was called upon. Absolutely. I think that Jack was actually very unfortunate not to be in the team. Yeah. Um, but you know when you've got when you've got good options there, like you had, you, you could have played Nathan Thompson at right back. You had Nathan Byrne at right back. You, you had to play a certain way for Jack to get in the team, and you know because he was more of a a going forward sort of sort of wing back, if you like, because you know he liked to arrive in the box late and stuff like that, and get forward and put crosses into the box. And I remember that you know him scoring the Johnson's paint when he's arrived late, and it, it was good at what he was good at what he did and. You know he's you know he's had a good he's had a good career off the back of it really he, he's he's doing well he's um he did well at Cheltenham I think he's um he's done all right for himself but yeah. like you say I think he was unfortunate not to probably play more than than what he did at Swindon. What was your experience of the uh, of the Nile Ranger circus? Because from a fan's point of view, <laughs> behind the scenes stuff an absolute mess, but so much fun to watch when he when he when he was on the pitch. He was a very, very frustrating character, to say the least, because mm. everybody could see 
what what he could do and it was just it was so frustrating because he actually when I first moved to Swindon I had to stay in the juries in so I had to stay in the juries for I think I was in the juries for about four months and Niall actually stayed in the hotel at the same time now Niall was as good as gold when he was with me in the in the juries in and he, he literally would we'd stay in we'd play FIFA or whatever else and he'd be brilliant. And we'd get up. He'd, I'd, I'd literally physically say, to knock on his door in the morning, Niall, get up, we're going to training. We've got to training. And he had no excuses because I would take him in the car. I would wake him up. So, he, he, you know what I mean? So, he, he was always coming in with me and Jack. So, it was a case of he was never going to be late. He was never going to be messing around or doing whatever else. So, he, he was brilliant. And on the pitch, he was unbelievable. It, it was so frustrating that, you know, to see, to see him where he is now, not even playing it. You know, it, it is very frustrating. But what a talent! But we, with so many stories with Niall, we actually had to have a uh, a team vote at some at one point whether we got rid of him or we kept him because you know he was coming that much of a burden in terms of being late all the time, and we we were having to find him quite heavily mm. because obviously. We ended up keeping him in the end. We said to the lads, said, look, we need him. We need him at this moment in time. We need him. As much as he's a pain off the pitch, we need him on it. Because, you know, we're struggling without him up there. Mm. So we ended up keeping him. And he was last chance saloon. And obviously, you know, he messed up that opportunity. But it is what it is. But I would, I'd love to see him get a good attitude back for football. And But how many chances do you give somebody now? Yeah. How how divided was the squad on our Ranger? Was it comprehensively we need him, everyone hands up, or was there was there was it quite split? No, I think it was it was quite one way that we needed him. Mm. It wasn't a sense of because he's not actually a bad lad at all. He's actually a great kid. People get this this impression that he's a bad person. He's not, he's really not a bad person. I think you know it's it's influences that make you what you are, and. I think that surrounding himself by the right people and good people, he's actually a good person. I just wish that he could find himself in football again and, and get himself back to where he should be. And that's not, not playing at all. Yeah, sure. There's another player that intrigues me and I'd love to talk to him because uh-huh. he's quite mysterious. He he was never unveiled officially and then he turns up on the last day of your second season, but we'll get to that later. And that's Harry Agumba. <laughs> <laughs> Was he there day in, day out? Harry was there a few days, then he wouldn't be in, and then he would, and then he wouldn't. It was very, it was a very odd situation with Harry. With Harry, it, it was quite frustrating, actually, because, believe it or not, I mean, you've seen probably, I don't know how long he played in that one game that he played. He's actually a good player. And he was very good on the ball, technically very gifted. I, I just, I don't know, it was quite frustrating. He would, you know... He would not turn up for days and everybody would say, well, where's Harry? And then, you know, he, he wouldn't be there, but we'd be there the next day. And we were like, where were you yesterday? Oh, I got stuck on the M25 or I said, come on, mate. You know, it's it, it was quite frustrating, really, but because he was such a good player. That, that is remarkable. How was he not disciplined or was he? Funny enough, he was actually, like I said, another great kid. He was he was a great lad and he, he, he didn't he didn't cause any issues or anything like that, but no, as far as I'm aware, disciplined in terms of fines, no. And I was head of I was head of fines, so no. 
I, I think I wonder whether if he was a first team player, it would have been a bigger issue. Possibly, I, I, I would imagine so, due to the fact that we had quite a tight fine system. Like I said, I I ran all the fines, so mm. um, I, I did everything in terms of the fine system. So I know that it was quite a tight fine fine system because there was a lot of heavy fines going out if anyone was late or or anything like that, you know. And silly things as well, you know, so we could get money in the kitty and stuff like that for the for the lads. Well, he does okay for himself now. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what was the silly things for the kitty? Yeah, I think stuff like bit, you know, leaving jumpers and bibs and cones <laughs> on the on the training ground or not turning your kit the right way, which which well I think is right. You know, you get fined for it because it's disrespectful to to the member of staff. We used to have fines that were disrespectful to a member of staff as a fine. You know, things like that, because I think it's good. It's, you, you know, with all due respect, no kit man wants to be turning kit inside out, washing it. And it, it you know, you need to show that manner of respect. And I think it's a big thing. You know, it, it teaches you good good habits and, and things like dirty boots and stuff where, you know, it, it's all, they're all good habits. Mm. So I think that, I know, although they seem little petty fines, they're, they're things that keep you intact and disciplined. Well, to finish on that, first season it seemed to me that we should have done with that squad with some of those individual players we should have done better than the eventual eighth place finish that we had would you agree with that I think so you know you look at the talent in that squad you would like to think that that would have kicked on and at least minimum got in the playoffs but you know it was disappointing in the end not to be in there but I suppose like you say when you're bedding in your players for the first season and it, you, you probably accept it in the end. Um, although disappointed, you have to realise that you're, 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 you're literally a brand new squad. So, you know, it's going to take time. So it was, uh, it was like I say, it was a case of us clicking and we probably clicked at the right time, but just fell short. Mm. Well, another pre-season and another behind-the-scenes battle within the club as Jed McQuarrie and Lee Powers' ownership dispute had to be settled by the courts. Uh, for the playing element of the club, was there any impact of this period or of uncertainty or was it business as usual? It was business as usual for us. It wasn't a case that we were ever going to get involved in, in any disputes or anything like that. At the end of the day, what was what was said and what was done between Jed and Lee was up to them. And, you know, if they wanted to to have a dispute over who was the owner and who wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, as long as us players weren't involved in it. We just went about as business as normal and, and made sure that, you know, we got our head down and did our work on the pitch because, you know, for us, it was all about performing on the pitch and, and making sure that um, we got the results. Mm. At this point, Steve Hale comes in as the first team goalkeeper coach yeah. as well. How did you find the contrast of methodologies and ideologies between Fraser and Steve? Fraser was very old school in, his, in the sense of his training. He always liked to work hard, and and I enjoyed Fraser's training due to the fact that I'm quite old school. And when I worked with um, John Achterberg at Liverpool, he was very old school, and I, it quite rubs off on me. I, I quite enjoy it. I get a bit of a bit between my teeth, and and I quite enjoy that 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 sense of training. And Steve was, not, you know, Steve was brilliant. He he was very technical, and you know, and and had some great sessions. And I think evolved evolved us in terms of the distribution side of the game because it was getting bigger and bigger for us as, as obviously the team um, team tactics changed and the way that we played started being even more 
um, eccentric, if you like, because we then went to a, you know, a crazy way of playing out that was unheard of in them leagues. You know, you wouldn't have seen another team in League One playing the way that we did. Mm. And, you know, we had to adapt to that and very quickly. So I think we did a lot of work in terms of distribution to adapt to the new style of football that we were going to play for that season. And do you feel that you, you adapted adequately enough from that play from the back? Because a lot struggle, don't they? I think that I was always... Because I'd, I'd done it at Liverpool when I was younger, I was always used to it anyway. So I'd always been playing out from the back under some sort of pressure. Now, it's a totally different pressure when you go into a League One game because the striker's breathing down your neck straight away. And and I sort of... After you've done it once or twice, people clock onto it. They've watched the video. They know what you're going to do. So it's being even braver to do it when that pressure is already there because you'd be marking the man or... You know all these sorts of things and these equations. You know you've got to you've got to be ready for everything that's that's thrown your way. And we certainly were. And on the training ground, we we worked on all different types of styles of playing out from the back. It was all possession based, and we were. It was all ticky tacky football. And you know I've heard I've heard the Swindon fans say that you know it's probably the best football they've seen since the Hoddle days, and that's a big statement. You know, it, it must have been good to watch. Oh, well, I've obviously seen a lot of it sitting on the bench, but it was um, it was it was certainly a joy to watch. And as from the fans' point of view, it must have been a joy to watch. Yeah, it was a member. It was a memorable one, 2014-15. But as you mentioned, you're restricted to only two appearances in the league and two in the EFL Trophy as well. In this sort of situation. Would you prefer to go out on loan? Because I think Lee Bedwell's gone at this stage and there are only two senior goalkeepers. Because were, were there even many behind closed doors games? Because we didn't have a reserve side at that stage either, did we? No, it was a case of when we could get a game. So it would be like, a, for example, a Forest Green behind closed doors or a, or a Cheltenham behind closed doors or a Bristol Rovers behind closed doors. You know, you know sort of thing to, to just get minutes in your belt and... You know, it's it was a mixture of players who weren't playing in the first team and under 18s, and it was difficult. It was a def- very, very difficult season for me. It was, I mean, listen, you know, let's take nothing away from the fact that, like I said, it was a it was a case that, you know, I was trying to push Wes, and and he was obviously performing. So it's credit to him. It's, you know, he's he's done very well in the team when he was playing. So I have to accept that and. You know, trying very, very limited to opportunities, but like you say, dipping in and out the team to get one game here, the other game there. It's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. But again, did I want to go out on loan? Yes. Was I able to? No. That's another story because, you know, that would have meant getting in another goalkeeper, and they didn't want to do that. So you know, I had to stick around and and try and and try and fight it out and and see and wait for an opportunity, which obviously didn't come. How does that impacts your working relationship with Wes and what does Steve Hale do to keep you motivated because you know that you're not going to get a game in the league unless something happens to Wes sent off injured what have you how how does he keep that morale because I mean you, you get on with it you said that you don't sulk but this is a career where you need minutes and things like that and you don't want to fester you don't want to rot away and, and do nothing what is that situation like? I think for me, it was, like you say, it was a case of me remaining professional, trying to get my head down, work hard. And, and like I said, I, I've always been someone who's, I'm actually, I've, I'd like to think that I'm a very good person to have around a team. That, you know, I'm I'm an encourager of people. I, I you know, I'm, 
I always tried to do extra with Steve and, and, and if I didn't feel I'd done enough, I would do more and, and stuff like that and, and stuff like where it's leading up to a game and it's coming into match preparation. You know, I, I'd want to do a bit more or do finishing with the lads at the end and the strikers and, and do crop, you know, extra stuff for me that would just keep me, try and keep me match sharp. Although it's not games, it's it's just trying to stay as sharp as I possibly can, ready for if anything does happen, that I am ready to go. But it, it certainly had an impact on, on the training of between me, Wes and Steve. We um, we had a good working relationship and, you know, it, it was brilliant. We we would, um, there would never be any... Um, any bad habits or anything in the, in the camp where we disrupt each other, nothing like that. Mm. Do you think the Football League or the Football Association should provide extra funding to allow clubs to be able to participate realistically within like a reserves league? I think so. I think a reserve league would be would be ideal, like you say, for the players like myself at that point who weren't getting a lot of minutes. Probably Jack Bartram, another one. There's a there was a lot of players there who weren't getting a lot of minutes who could have done with probably like you say a reserve league where they can have a game in the midweek if we haven't got one on a on a Wednesday say where you wouldn't normally have a game you know if you've got one Tuesday you're not going to miss one are you you know so stuff like that where the players who are not playing who need minutes so that they are match ready because like I say there's nothing like games to get you match sharp Kelly is only a couple of yards away but Digby manages to push it one-handed onto the bar You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. What made the difference during the season in terms of making the playoffs in contrast to the season before? I think that we had a little bit more quality in certain areas. We did, I believe, take a lot more chances in that season. We were, we had a little bit more of a cutting edge about us. Mm. Um, we looked like we could fire from from anything really we just like I say that was I think the build up was from the start of the season before we were like I said we were ready to click and it was just all coming together and I think that season it really did we we tweaked so many things on the training ground and we'd stop start sessions and walk through things and it was literally very fine detail in terms of the way we wanted to play but you could obviously see it paying off on the pitch because we spent hours on the training ground and and analyzing games and stuff like that and you know, it was brilliant. We spent a lot of time in in looking through stuff and fine details, but very fine margins in terms of the place. Where, you know, when we go onto the pitch on a Saturday, we, you know, it makes a massive difference. Well, you featured five times in the in the league the season before, and you have to wait over a year for game six as Cooper opted to rest a large chunk of the squad ahead of the playoffs. I felt for you and the other fringe players, as there was no way you could realistically beat the full-strength Preston side. I think only Jordan Turnbull and Jack Stevens and I think Michael Smith started that game yeah. and then went on to start in the final, though. Uh, it was Rick- always going to be very tough. Oh, man. I mean, I think Sam Ricketts comes on as well, but you, uh, Anton Rogers, George Barker, Will Randall and Lee Marshall, would it not be more practical to go more or less full strength so we can see what this Preston side is all about ahead of a potential playoff place? Oh, I think so. Personal opinion, yes. Because it actually went to a situation where the manager always had that in his plans. He was always going to do that. We had the conversation behind closed doors that that was the case. He was going to play the uh, play a weaker team, play the strong team. play. Weak. You know, He was going to do that due to the fact that he wanted to make sure that everybody was fresh 
everybody would have fresh legs ready for the playoffs. Um, but like you say, probably would it have been a better time to get the feelers out and see what Preston were about? Yes, probably. Um, in hindsight, it was a very difficult um, situation to go into with a very inexperienced side. But we had to do our best in the current situation. Probably disappointed from a fan's point of view. Should they, should they have let the fans know? Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. But again, that's another story for another day. Due to the fact that obviously there's fans paying their hard-earned money and travelling a long, long way, by the way. And we still had a very good turnout. But then, you know... And it, don't get me wrong, I believe the lads put everything they had into the game and the lads playing, you know, did did what they could. But it was always going to be tough, like you say, against a very experienced side, against a very inexperienced side. Yeah, it, it just struck me as, I'm no expert, but I would have gone reasonably full strength for Preston. I would have gone maybe half of that against Colchester and then rested players for Orion and sort of rotated them, but... But you know yeah. what do I know? I mean, I'm I'm just somebody who sits <laughs> with the with the with the glory of hindsight. Of course, during this time as well, um, you're joined at Swindon by your brother Cameron during the latter stages. Yeah. What was the reasoning behind this? Were, were there injury concerns, or were they just making sure that there would be no issues? Cameron was actually without a club at the time, and I had him move in with me due to the fact that he just wanted to train. He mm. was desperate to train, just wanted to stay ready, wanted to work with Steve, um, as I recommended. I said, look, come on, work with Steve. He's absolutely fantastic. He'll be brilliant for you, breath of fresh air, and, you know, a new opinion on another goalkeeping coach who you can learn off. And he said, brilliant, mate. You know, I said, look, come and live with me. You can live with me. You know, I'll travel with me and Jack every day. You know, it'll be good for you. And he said, yeah, brilliant. So he... he um, he ended up coming in and he really enjoyed it. There was no intentions of him actually signing. He just wanted to come in and train, but albeit he just signed anyway, just in case something did happen. And, um, you know, I think he was, he was enjoying it. He was enjoying just being back in and around it really. <laughs> well, something did happen, didn't it? Ty? Absolutely. <laughs> so you start the final home game in a very entertaining clash with Leighton Norian, who are relegated as a result of that game. Anton Rogers scores that free kick. Harry Ogumba gets 60 minutes and you go and get yourself <laughs> sent off after 20. <laughs> there's, uh, I think there's still a dispute into that in whether it was offside or not. I'd love to have the VAR back then. However, you know, we don't have that luxury. Yeah, it was a, it was a very, very bizarre day to say the least. Uh, the whole family always come up. Every... For every last game of the season, the whole family would always come up, stay the night, and uh, we'd all meet up after, uh, you know, and have a drink and whatever and stuff like that. And the whole family was there. I end up getting sent off. My brother comes on, saves the penalty, and it was just the the strangest moments of of my life really because it was the weirdest emotions I've ever felt I felt so angry and disappointed yet so happy (laughs) it was so strange I'll never forget it because I wasn't a million miles away from the dugout and I remember watching Cameron get ready to come on and I don't know who was behind the goal but he gave the biggest grin I've ever seen I've never seen somebody so happy (laughs) to come on you know it was he was like lovely stuff I'll take that but uh, a great gift but as a result you are not able to take your place on the bench for the first leg of the, the playoffs, the win, but you were back in the bench for that 5-5. Five, five. That was something, wasn't it? 
Well, just a bit. I think that nearly gave me an heart attack on the uh, on the bench, let alone anybody sitting in the stand. <laughs> that was some game, and I don't think you'll probably ever see such an end-to-end entertaining game again, really, because there was some quality in that game and some crazy goals and moments. And you would be how a fan was sitting on the seat for that game. I'll never know because I was on the edge of mine. So you know, it was a crazy game, but like I say, one excellent to be involved in, but absolutely crazy. It was remarkable, but it was also, and we'll get to the final in just a moment, but I, I remember when, you know, forever the pessimist, um, I turned to the person I was sat next to and just said, we're going to need to score five or six at Wembley if we need to go up, because although it was a hugely entertaining game, I will, it was my one in 100. I, that game will not be for entertainment. That game won't be replaced or um, overtaken in a long time. But from a promotion push perspective, it was an absolute horror show, I think. Um, but I, I think I'm willing for, to forgive on the basis of the entertainment. But what, what are your memories of the prep for Wembley ahead of that final against Preston? I think, personally, from a preparation point of view, I think we changed from everything that we knew. Now, we leading up to Wembley, we actually went and stayed at the Belfry in um, in Birmingham area, so right next to Aston Villa's training ground, but at Bodymore Heath, because we were going to train at Aston Villa's training ground. Now, it wasn't our intentions as a team. We didn't want to change what we'd been doing. We just wanted to remain the same, be happy just training at our t- training ground that was absolutely in a state the training pitches weren't great, but we were happy with that. We weren't bothered. We just wanted to stay as our a normal routine, not change anything and, you know, go about our business in the right way because that's what got us there. You know, for whatever reason, we ended up staying We ended up staying there. Um, we then moved from there to, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a big hotel in London. I'm not sure if it was a landmark or we stayed somewhere quite, quite big and um, quite posh. And it just wasn't the normal routine that I would associate myself with leading up to a although it's very nice and it's luxurious and it's a one-off and things like that I'd have rather been at home with my family and as I would normally and prep in the right way that we're ready to go to a game on a Saturday I don't think that just because it's a one-off game at Wembley we should change everything that we've done previous what's got us there but you know that it is what it is um it, it did alter our preparation in the way that obviously we did things because obviously everything was changed. However, but it is what it is. It can't be changed. Did people express those concerns at the time or was it just a matter of hindsight? I think it was an in-house thing that we we weren't too sure whether we wanted to. A few lads said, can we not stay at home and, and say that we wanted to, you know, we stay at home and we just travel down on the day like we would normally. And, you know... That everybody thought that the preparation, the management, and 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 obviously chairman at the time thought that it was was better for us to um, to go and stay at um, the Belfry and and places like that and train at Aston Villa. But like I said, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But it is what it is now. Mm. Is it is it true that Town focused quite strongly on the attacking element of our game ahead of ahead of like being more defensive and it was like practicing attacking play constantly not so much we 
we we would I would say we did things in the in the in the normal manner that we would. Mm-hmm. We prepped in the way that we thought that they were going to play. Uh, we obviously knew that Beckwood, uh, Beckford would be a, a massive threat, <laughs> which which he was. So we we, we were expectant of what was going to happen. We'd obviously, like you say, the manager had had his chance and seen him in the game previous that we played him and we we got beat four with a with a very weaker side. And obviously, seen them, and, and we'd seen footage of them, so we knew what they were capable of. Uh, we didn't prep any differently to, to what we normally would, apart from, like I say, the um, the change of scenery for us. What are your memories of the day itself? Very up in the air, um, walking out of Wembley, well, walking into the stadium, and and seeing mine and my brother's shirts next to each other was a was a massive moment. That was a big big moment for us we walked in there and it was just a proud moment really for the family going out on the pitch with each other and stuff like that was was fantastic it was like I say it's something that we won't forget however just the whole day of disappointment and I, I just I, I didn't I couldn't wait to get out the building once we'd, we'd got beat and I could just see materialising through the game it was going to get worse and worse and obviously Nathan goes down injured and it's just it, it went from bad to worse and I could just I could feel the disappointment and as a, even as a fan, you know, just to, that it hurt me, let alone the fans watching. And we had such a great support as, as we always did. And it was disappointing. It really was. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 the whole day felt, felt like it was inevitable. My memories of it, I remember walking like a slow walk up Wembley way. And you know, when you feel that the, it just doesn't feel right, and then when when the game started, of course, it was an absolute, again, horror show. Um, and, I mean, I was quite fortunate because I was, when I, when I took my seat, when the game started, the seat to the left of me was empty. So I had a bit of leg room for the whole game. By the 60th minute, the people sat on the right of me. They'd left at halftime. The whole row ahead of me were gone. I had my feet up at Wembley in a final. It was it was quite a it was quite a bizarre experience, not a great one, and one I hope we don't ever have to go through again. But I mean, I'm going to ask you for your opinion, and uh-huh. you can just say outright, "This is your opinion. It's not based on anything." I'm going to say my opinion. I will say now because I was there at that five five. There's yeah. no way that Nathan Thompson was fit that day. Absolutely, I'll give you an honest opinion. Like I said to you previous, I'll always be honest and upfront, uh, as I always am. Nathan probably wasn't fit. Um, we went into that final with Nathan probably fifty-fifty of whether he was. He was unsure. He was very unsure leading up to it. He wasn't right. However, the passion in him and you know wanting to do well for his hometown club probably shone through in the fact that we needed him but needed a full fit Nathan Thompson, probably not a 50%. And it, 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 it killed him, really, because it was inevitable that he was going to come off at some point. You know, I think it was just a case of when. Um, but, you know, to lose a player of that stature so early in the game is a is a kick in the teeth. But uh, as for your question, no, I don't think he was fit. The, the bit leading up to the injury and the, what led to the first goal, it just it was quite clear to me. I know Cooper defended it, said he passed the fitness tests and things like that, but the the manner of the injury and the way he was after the five five, it, it it was just it just just seemed so so unlikely that he was ready to play. And I think that does, although we would have lost that game regardless. I think it does change that dynamic, doesn't it? Um, yeah. 
that Wembley was, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I stayed right until the end and to the point where you're kicked out by the stewards because, you know, yeah. that's what they do with the losing fans. You don't stay and watch, you just you get ushered out. That's fair enough. But that's yeah. that's the, the first time I've been to a final where, you know, normally at the end of a final, you stand there and you clap and you resign and you go, well done. That's the first time I've seen fans really give some abuse to good players and good players react. I remember one fan having a right old go as they're doing the uh, the applause, you know, the lap of applause at the end. Yeah. And I remember Jack Stevens just doing the cheers, mate, you know, just, you know, we, you know, we did do it deliberately. And, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it was just, yeah, it was, it, I've, we've never really recovered from that final, I would say. And I think Richie Wellens is currently just about laying the foundations of a new a new era for Swindon. But I, I I, think for the fans, that game still still really angers. Absolutely, I think so. It's I still look back to this day and think, what if we were that close yet yeah. so far that I genuinely believe if that team was to have got promoted with a few additions, we'd have done okay in the league above. I, I don't think we'd have been struggling yeah. because it was such a such a talented team. Well, if you like, most of them players probably play in the championship anyway now. So mm. it just shows that it would have been comfortable. Mm. Um, so it, it is very, very hard to take when you, when you think how close you are and it all just gets taken away in, in, in well, in probably 45 minutes, not let alone 90 minutes. It just seems so ruthless at the end as well. Cause pretty much immediately after the Preston game, the squad is decimated. I think within days, Glad- yeah. Gladwin and Luongo go to QPR and it just it just yeah. goes from that to that and that. Wes, it seemed like he was always gone. Um, yeah. So regardless if we won 4-0 or lost 4-0, he was going. It seemed quite calculated as if there were a lot of players in that squad were like, well, I'm going regardless. And I, I do think even though it's not intentional, I do sometimes feel that that has a psychological effect on footballers. I might be wrong there, but it did feel that a few of those players, whether we went up or not, would have left. You're probably right in that sense. I do probably agree with you in that. Uh, I think that if we'd have gone up, you would have probably found that Wes probably would have stayed. I do think that Massimo probably would have stayed. I do think there would have been a few that would have stayed, if I'm going to be brutally honest, yeah. rather than go to obviously other clubs. However, like you said, it probably does have an effect. You've probably got half in your mind, what if? Um, but you should be able to, as a professional, be able to blank that out for 90 minutes sure. and and um, and get on with the game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more than happy to concede that being the point, but from a fan side of things, I think oh, absolutely. That, that, that's, that's sometimes absolutely. how it feels. So- A little bit of space for Frank McAvenny. Away from Parker, not from Bruce though. Nyholt with a shot, took a deflection, it's in! Luke Nyholt has equalised for Swindon Town. And bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. Like I said, I, I mean, you say that Wes would probably stayed. All the rhetoric and the build-up to the game and after was that he was going... So at this stage, okay. you must be thinking, this is my chance this summer. Well, I knew that that, that summer um, went by. I knew as soon as Wes had gone then that this was really my chance to go and grasp it. So 
Um, while everyone was away, I was still at the county ground. I used the gym at the county ground. From the day that we finished, I was in the day after. I used it as a sense to come back and get myself fit. I think I lost about a stone and a half. Um, and got myself really good shape. I got a fitness program off Mike, the fitness coach at the time, and said, look, I'm not interested in the summer. I need to get myself in this first team. Um, so I stayed in the whole summer. I didn't, And I had a conversation with my missus. She said to me, you know, you need a rest, you need this. I said, listen, I know what I need. I need to get in the first team, and that's my ambition. And um, she said, that's fine. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And um, and I did, and, and I got myself in good shape. Probably the best shape I've been in for a long time in terms of football. And um, I was just chomping at the bit, ready for pre-season. I was ready for it to start and, and ready to take my opportunity. I, I did genuinely think, and from the information that I got given from the management, that it was going to be my time. Yeah, you played the majority of the pre-season, and it's a, yeah. it's a glitzy one for Swindon because we have plenty yeah. of high-profile opposition, like Everton, yeah, we West Brom, and, and Liverpool come in at the end. Um but Viggs, so Lawrence Vigaru comes in in time to take his place as number one for the Liverpool friendly. What was your working relationship like with the new class? So now we've got Lawrence Vigaru and we've got Will Henry. What what was that dynamic like? I always got on well with Will Henry. Will actually lived with me. Um, I took him under my wing. Um, they actually asked me, was I interested in taking Will? I said, of course I'll take him. You know, as a as a young lad coming through, I'll, I'll you know I'll have him live with me. I'll look after him and make sure that he's you know everything is professional in the way that he does things and and stuff like that and 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 i was happy to have will living with me you know like i say, i wanted to take him under my wing and help him as i've been in that situation as a young kid coming through and so i wanted to do that um i had a good relationship with lawrence also we had a good laugh and he was a good lad and you know i got on well with him but you know there's still a bit of disappointment in me that i'm coming in and i'm seeing another listen i, I understand there's always going to be you know competition for places but I wasn't expecting a loan move because nine times out of ten with a loan move the stipulations so I was aware that there was going to be some sort of situation where I wasn't going to see game time mm. so I had to I had to try and buy my time and see what the situation was going to be obviously. Lawrence came on this podcast when he left Swindon and he was a good sport and you know, he acknowledged the mistakes that he made during his career and he was really articulate about it and I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. But as the competition, when you're seeing that he's been sent home, he's he's not adhering to to club policy and things like that, you're just are you thinking, Well, what do I have to do to to play? Absolutely. I remember I remember him paying the fines because obviously, like I said, I was head of fines. So as soon as he paid the fines to me in pennies, I was the one who actually picked the bag up mm. because he gave me the bag in pennies. And um, <laughs> it was, I didn't know whether to laugh or not because I just thought, I don't know if he's being serious here, but he was actually being serious. He actually gave me the bag and I picked it up. I think I needed it back, but it was that heavy. But it was difficult because I was, like I say, I would always remain the ultimate professional. People would always comment on my professionalism around the building and how good I was and and how good I was to have around and such a great lad and things like that. And, you know, I always pride myself on that because I think to myself, no one ever in football will ever say Ty's a bad egg or Ty's a bad person to have around. If anything, they say the opposite and say he's great to have around the building. What a great character and what a great person. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I, I pride myself on that and to for little things to keep creeping in and I'm saying to the management, you know, what have I got to do to play here? He's doing this and he's doing that. And I think I actually played the game after, which was Doncaster away. 
um, after he paid the, the fine in pennies because he actually got sent back to Liverpool. Um, he had a bit of a bust up in the change rooms with Mark Cooper at the time and said, right, you're going back. Um, he sent him back to Liverpool for a brief couple of days. I played against Doncaster. Um, a lot of you think I did all right in the game, to be honest. I don't think, I don't recall anything where I actually made a save quite late on, actually, from Danny and Gesson, um, who was obviously a previous Swindon player. Um, but no, I felt like I did all right. And I thought, you know, I'd warranted we'd gone away to Doncaster on a Tuesday night. Not a nicest place to go in the world, but. You know, we did okay. So I thought, you know, two will draw. I'll keep my shirt here. Next game, I'll find myself back out of the team again. So I'm thinking, what, you know, what have I got to do to play here? Hmm. It, you know, it, it's not helped by the fact that Swindon don't have a great... We really struggle to adapt after that, that the previous season, don't we? We don't replace the players that left quite as well as, as Cooper would have hoped. And from being linked to the Sheffield Wednesday job, he finds himself... Hmm sat within a few months with so it was a really tough time for the club at that stage I agree I think it was it was a transition again um, of players like you said we didn't we didn't sort of replace the quality that we'd previously had that's no disrespect to the players that we had but you know you look at the likes of where them players are now so we never really we never really replaced that quality like you said but you know it was always going to be difficult to adapt um, and, and it was a tricky a tricky season, as you say. Mm. <coughs> What's it like being managed by the owner? Very strange. <laughs> it was a strange situation, that one. But, um, yeah, very, very, very odd. It was just a case of him coming in and saying, right, I'm going to take the team. It wasn't so much a case of him going to do all the tactics and stuff like that because that was left to Luke because it was always Luke anyway like I said who did that sort of uh, tweaking of things and stuff like that Lee was just going to be the one that stood in the dugout and took the flak really um, if there was any so I don't think it was a case of him saying right I'm the manager I'm going to do this I'm going to do that you're doing it was a case of he was going to stand there and be the face if you like and Martin Ling comes in briefly and, uh-huh. and there seemed to be Great hope under Lingy before mm. see his illness um, got the better of him again. And But the best thing that came out of that was that unity within the squad seemed to be coming back, didn't it? Absolutely. And that was full credit to Martin Ling. And what a great bloke, by the way, and, and an absolute Swindon legend. And, you know, it was unfortunate that, you know, like you say, his health got the better of him. But it was... It was a case where we did feel that togetherness again, and I think that Lingy brought that to us. That it was a, you know, he he made us feel like we need to stick with each other through the hard times, and you know, really grit his, grit our teeth and and be as one. And you know, he he brought that feel good factor back to us in the sense that we looked like we lost the way a little bit, and then you know, the, he's come in and brought that back to us a little bit, and. There was a little bit of hope there, I think, when when we started to see the results turn and we're getting good results away and stuff like that. And you know, I, I do think that had he still been at the helm for a, a you know a little bit longer, or you know, I think we would have come good. I think, again, hindsight being wonderful, um, mm-hmm. I think if he came in in a similar situation as his late in Orient career. Like he is director of football with with Luke Williams and and Ross Embleton, 
doing their thing, I think it might have lasted longer and it might have been more successful, but we'll never know. Possibly, I agree. I think that the pressures of management and being in the dugout and the emotions riding up and down and, you know, I remember sitting on the coach with with Martin and even when we'd win, he wouldn't feel any different to when we'd lost and it it was crazy, you know. But, you know, that's mental health and, you know, I, you know, it's it's sad to see to such a great man. Obviously, I know he's 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 turning the corner and he looks he looks a lot better. And um, you know, that's that's absolutely fantastic to see. And like you say, that role probably would have suited him. You know, a little bit upstairs, out the way, probably still had his say, but you know, could release that pressure if you like. Because like I say, the pressure of of being a manager these days is very tough. On a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest and ten being the highest. How much did Luke Williams want that job? One. I don't think he wanted it at all. I don't think that, with all due respect to Luke, and I love Luke as a person, he was never going to be management material. He was too close to the lads in the sense of that he would be quite laughy and jokey with the lads when he was a coach. Mm. And, you know, he was at a close close connection with the boys in the sense that you know he could talk to him about anything in the sense of you go and you you go up to him and say right can we have a chat about this and you know tactics and whatever else and he'd be open and honest and you know you could talk to him about anything whereas when you're a manager that confident that's gone you know you've got to be straight face with everybody you've got to be not so much straight face but you can't be the same laughy jokey person because you can't have that you've got to be honest and upfront with everybody you've got to be you know, you've got to have that manner to call someone in your office and tell them why they're not playing. And I think that would have been hard for Luke in the sense of that didn't suit him because, like I say, he wasn't that type to to step into the management role, especially not at that time, I don't think. Five-year contract, nobody's turning that down in football. Absolutely. No, I think it was a... I, I think the five-year contract would have been to remain as a coach. And I have no doubt in the fact that I would have given him a five-year deal as a coach because he's probably one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. And, you know, I've worked with some very good coaches. But his attention to detail was frightening. He would literally walk through things with you and you'd be talking about what the player's going to do and he'd end up doing it on the Saturday. So he'd obviously done his homework on every player that we played against because it it was crazy, like I said. But it was... It, it was a it was a strange decision when he stepped into the management. We wasn't we, we weren't too sure it, that it was the right decision, but obviously had to respect it and and try to adapt. Do you think it was a sense of duty given what happened with Martin Lane? I think so. I think that he felt obliged to do it due to the fact that he was already at the club. He yeah. was next in line, if you like, without going out and getting somebody else in, okay. not being not being that long probably left in a season at the time to go and get somebody else that probably not that many managers available at that point. Yeah. I, I seem to remember that he turned it down before Martin Ling turned up as well. He was, he, yeah. Yeah. So. corner and Richie coming in. Matt Richie strikes again for Swindon Town. And he had to say they deserve to be level without a doubt. I said earlier, that man could have a part in getting them back into the game. He's been the best player, been the most inventive, creative player possibly on the pitch. But again, a set piece, 
that wasn't defended particularly well, you have to say. I think he's injured himself on the way down there, the manager. Got right at the bottom of that rut. Well, you're regular um, between March and April, but during that time there are some heavy losses during yeah. um, your your final stint as as town goalkeeper. Was any yeah. blame sent your way during that time? Was or was it just what was going on? I think on? we it was quite a difficult period. I remember off the top of my head the Scunthorpe game sticks with me more than anything. <laughs> I don't remember having the greatest game at Scunthorpe. Uh, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say that you know I didn't have the greatest game at Scunthorpe. Um, other games I remember probably you know were, were tough. Um, I actually played my last. I don't know how many games was there. I think I played my last six, maybe seven games at Swindon with a grade three tear in my groin. Yeah. Maybe people aren't aware, but I actually played with a fourteen centimetre tear in my groin, um, which was yeah extremely painful. I was taking painkillers after painkillers to try and get through the games due to the fact that we we had the we had Will Henry I think was on the bench at the time and my last game was I, I believe might have been Bradford away um, and I said to Steve Ale I said I can't I can't let him play this game because it's going to be make or break now going to Bradford away is a rough place to go. Now you you're coming up against a strike, you big strikers, rough team, always been renowned for putting the ball in the box, coming in and putting everything on the goalkeeper and you know, smashing the goalkeeper and stuff like that. I said he can't throw a young kid into that game. I said, by all means, after this game, I'll I'll hold my hands up and I'll go and I'll be I'll be out of the team. Put me out of the team and I'll go and get my groin sorted out. I said, but I can't throw a young kid in in this game. I said at the end of the season when there's nothing to play for go you know do what you want I said but I can't do it to him so yeah, I think that was my last game was Bradford away which was tough yeah I mean it's but it, it's not supposed to be the end at this point is it really no 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 absolutely not no so um, so the season ends mm-hmm. but you're not you're not on the uh, is that injury in pre-season still <laughs> I'm. I was actually out for about three months because mm. um, I had to all the off season again. I was in because I had to do uh, my rehab with the physio. Mm. So he had me in all in the off season. I was doing my rehab in the gym, doing all sorts of strengthening work, and ready for it to heal. At points, I couldn't even walk up the stairs after a game when I was playing. It was that bad. I didn't even train in the week, but we're playing on the Saturday. That's how bad I was at the point. Um, People, I've read things in the in the press of BBC and stuff like that, saying that it was a selfish thing to do and stuff like that. But listen, at the end of the day, I was never gonna, never gonna do that to a young lad who's who's trying to find his way in football to try and throw him in a deep end. It's it's not when you're at a relegation battle trying to throw a kid in. It's not it's not ideal. Would would he 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 obviously would have played, but was he yeah. in agreement with you? Because you would have surely discussed this at the time. He was, it was discussed that he may have to play due to the fact that I was obviously struggling. Yeah. Um. He didn't look too keen at the time. Like I say, he he was baby faced. He was just a kid. I think he may have been seventeen. So it's it's a lot to ask for a young young lad to play 
Yeah, well, he was, he was playing for Shrivingham, wasn't he? Or Shrivingham, yeah, absolutely. But, uh... So I actually went to watch him at Shrivingham. It, it was like, you know, so it, it was it was a totally different aspect from playing there to playing in, under a lot of pressure in a relegation fight in a team that's not doing so well. Hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big ask. Rehab, three months out. Yeah. At what point did you... Was it clear that your Swindon career was was coming to an end? Because I mean, from my side of things, again as a football fan, when when it's announced that that somebody's going to join Southport for the mm-hmm. for the season, your reaction, I've got to say, is oh, that that sounds like the end to me. Looked like the end, and ended up being the end. But for me, I actually tried the season before when I did get injured to try and go out alone. Now. I had inquiries from a few football league clubs, but they got turned down. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I got a call from Andy Bishop at Southport, and he said to me, are you interested in coming to Southport? My first initial thought was, not a chance, because I've seen Southport's season before. They fought relegation season before. So I, I thought, I know what I'm in for straight away. So after a long conversation with obviously the other half and stuff like that, I spoke to the missus and said, "Look, what what do you think?" And she said, "You've got to play. You can't not play anymore. You know, you've had a season where you've had ten games, like you say, of a run where you you know you could you could play some games here. Go and have a season on loan. Establish yourself. Go and get forty five games under your belt. You've never played any more than ten games, which is crazy." You know, go and I spoke to my agent, spoke to my dad, and they said, "Look, you've got nothing to lose. Go and take, go and take your loan. Go and play well, and go and prove a point and come back." So I thought, you know what, they've got a point. Let me go out. Let me prove. Let me prove to everyone that I'm not just a keeper who sits on the bench and comes in and, you know, can play the odd game here and there. I need to go and play 45 games and get a, get a reputation that I can do something. But it was difficult. It was difficult. I mean, yeah, you, you go up there and you're a first team, you save penalties. I mean, I think about out of the nine or so games you play, just under half of those are teams that are now in the football league, you know, that yeah, you're playing against yeah. you're playing against some stable League Two and maybe a League One side in there. I think Tramia might have yeah. been in there. So Tramier and Lincoln, yeah. Yeah, and Forest Green Rovers is yeah. as well. And and then this is where this is where the, the journey sort of seems to go through this I, I don't know what's going on in the world of Ty Belford at this stage. So what happens for the, the loan to be cut short and then the mutual termination of your contract at Swindon? Okay, so I went obviously to Southport, um, played every game, did well, got player of the month there, um, got voted the fans player of the month. Then the manager gets sacked due to obviously a, pun, uh, a poor run of results. Mm-hmm. New manager comes in and Steve Burr says that he wants to cut the budget. The chairman wants to cut the budget. And I mean cut the budget. Uh, I go, Gary Jones play, uh, goes, who's obviously a very good, respected player. He was captain. He got let go. Um, striker got let go. It was literally name after name after name. But me being um, from Swindon, probably one of the higher earners at that club at the time. Not even, uh, you know, they, they weren't even paying big money, but... Sure. What they would class as a higher earner, I was probably one of them. So I was probably on the first name to go. But obviously there was a clause that I was on a season-long loan. So there was a case where 
they had to come to an agreement with Swindon that I could come back. And it was a case where the Cubs agreed a fee between the two where I would go back. And um, I was actually sat in Southport for about a month, not doing anything because mm. they told me not to report to training, not to report to the ground and that I would be going back to Swindon. I said, right, OK, no problem. Nothing happened. I rang uh, Luke Williams. Gaffer, what do you want me to do? He said, as far as I'm concerned, Ty, you can come straight back and train. You'll be straight in the squad. No problem, Gaffer. That's fine. So, you know, I'll, as far as I was concerned, I was going back to Swindon. So I got a call from the um, secretary at the time at Swindon saying, I've just got off the phone with Lee. You don't need to come back. Right, OK, no problem. So then the chairman of Southport says, no, no, you're going back to Swindon. So I said, so what am I actually doing? I'm a little bit up in the area. I've got a place in Southport that I'm renting, so I'm, I'm paying for that. That Southport was supposed to be paying for as a club accommodation. Stopped paying it. Hmm. I ended up paying it myself. So it, all these sort of things, and you know, it was just crazy, really. And then I just said, you know, I'll go back to Swindon, not a problem. But obviously, I went back to Swindon. Uh, Lee Power rings me and says, look, Ty, what do you want to do, mate? We've got a situation where we no longer need you in terms of um, we've got another keeper. You know, Will can sit on the bench. You, If you want to come back, you'll be in the stands. I said, look, Lee, I'm not I'm not about sitting in the stands and, and, and taking my money. I'm not that type of player. I'm not ever going to. I'm not ever going to do that. I've got more respect for the club. I've got more respect for the fans. I've got more respect for my teammates than to do that. So he said to me, look, let's mutually agree a deal where, you know, we'll pay you off the rest of your contract or we'll, you know, or we'll meet somewhere and, and, we'll, and we'll make a deal. I said, all right, listen, you know, I'm happy to do that and, and we'll terminate the contract. In hindsight, terrible decision because I probably should have stuck around and come back to Swindon, got my head down and fought for my place to get even back on the bench because it, it did me no good in, in leaving. At all, and it was probably one of my biggest regrets in football. Is it? Do you think it's a fact of the situation that you're in? You, you don't. You sat in this in this rented place, which probably isn't the greatest place you want to live in. You just mm-hmm. need somewhere quick because the club can afford it and things like that. So you sat yeah. doing nothing. You can't train. Yeah. You can't. You can keep yourself fit, but that's about it. You, one club is telling you one thing. The other club is saying the other, which is no. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody here because yeah, yeah, yeah. it seems like Swindon have done you some favours there to be honest and they've they've, yeah. they've looked after you it's just contractual and things like that yeah. um, but do you think that sort of that stress for want of a better phrase of like whether you're coming or going that that makes people feel via human nature to make those sort of split decisions that you, you can regret immediately I think, after I think so because it wasn't just that. It was, you know, I, I'd had my little boy by this time. I'd, I'd obviously got my missus and they, they'd both moved obviously up with me and stuff like that. And it was just like they, they didn't know whether they were coming or going, let alone me. And that's the last thing you want for your family. And I'm a family man and it's not, it, it just wasn't right. And then to be told I'm going to go back to Swindon, then I'm not going. It was like, it was all up in the air because we'd have had to get another place in Swindon. So it was just, it was all a bit crazy and obviously we wanted to get it all sorted as quickly as possible, but it just, it just didn't materialise in me coming back. And then, it, you know, Lee 
me and Lee come to a, a mutual agreement and we said, look, you know, this will we'll terminate your contract. We'll mutually agree and we'll terminate your contract. And like I said, I think it was a heat at that moment thing. I've probably said, yeah, let's do it because I had something else lined up. But like I say, high time's a wonderful thing. It was a, probably the biggest regret I've got. Yeah, and do you think if you said, with respect, Mr. Chairman, I'm going to come back and I'm going to fight for a place within the squad, he he would have gone brilliant. I don't think he'd have liked it because he was obviously desperate to get me out of there in terms of money hmm. because, and this is no, you know, I, I was, there's no hiding. I wasn't on big money at all. I'm pr- probably a lot less than what anybody else is on there. But I was on more than what Will was on. So, and I would have been a lot more, obviously, being on the scholarship wage at the time. So we'd have just been sitting on the, he'd have just been sitting on the bench for next to nothing, you know. So it was a case of him wanting to cash in on get me out quickly, you know. So I can see where he's coming from from a chairman's point of view. Sure. However, you know, I probably made a rash decision. Sure. Well, definitely made a rash decision. O'Sullivan, Finney a target in the penalty area. He's found the young Finney. It's 2-0. Two goals in a minute. You can only begin to think the thoughts that are going through the head of Harford and Flowers. And then, so, Swindon comes to an end. Uh-huh. So you, you already had Oxford City lined up? Yes, I already had, um, as soon as I knew I was going to mutually terminate that contract, Oxford City was an option for me. Because I thought to myself, if I move back down to Swindon, I can commute to Oxford City. It's down the road. It's on my doorstep. I can train twice a week. It's 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 easy enough and I can work alongside it. I just had a in my mind because it was just local to me. I thought, right, that, that, that'll be it. I can do that. That's fine. So be it. I end up actually moving to Nuneaton, which is my hometown, hmm. and uh, commuting to Oxford City, uh, which was strange. But you know, it was what it was at the time. Hmm. How easy, or how hard is it, once you start drifting into non-league to try and get yourself back into the football league, or did you even try? I didn't try at the time, no. It was so difficult that I half accepted that I'd gone into non-league. Um, I actually had a spell where I... I'll talk about it probably a bit later, but when I left Oxford, I actually went to Scotland and <laughs> had, a, had a trial up in... Well, not a trial up in Scotland. I actually went to a club in Scotland uh, to sign mm. and the deal fell through. I'd come back and Oxford City had already replaced me. Oh wow! Yeah, so that was a that was a very strange story. Um, I can tell you about it if you like. Go ahead. So I'd actually gone up to it was Greenock Morton mm-hmm. in the Scottish Championship, and they were I think they were second or third in the league at the time. And the I'd met with the manager. I went drove up to Glasgow, took the missus, took the took the little man, um, drove up to Glasgow. Absolutely freezing, as per. <laughs> so went up there, met with the manager, did a training session. Said, "Yeah, fine, no problem. We'll sign you. We'll talk contracts." Da 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 da. Fine, no problem. So went to the stadium, went to sign the contract. The woman went, "Oh, 
secretary, oh, hang on a minute, we can't sign you. The, the, um, you've signed for such and such in one season, you can't transfer over to the, the Scottish FA rule and you can't do it. So I thought, great, I've been sent up to Scotland by my agent to sign for this team that I couldn't even sign for. So it was a wasted journey. Now, because I'd already told Oxford City that I'm going to go and speak to Greenwich Morton, they'd already replaced me because they needed a keeper. So with all due respect, I can't knock them for it because they had to do it. Um, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have moved, I've even gone up there because I was actually quite enjoying playing at Oxford City. Um, I was doing okay there. I thought, you know, it was steady. We were we were around mid-table. We were just, just one of them teams that would win a couple, you know, lose one, draw one. So we were just a steady mid-table team. Hmm. And I was just happy to just play. It wasn't a case of, you know, anything other than just wanting to play some games. So, um, like I said, that fell through. And then I ended up getting a call off um, the Nuneaton manager, Tommy Wright, to say, I hear you're available. Do you want to come and sign here? And it was literally a 10-minute drive from my house. So it was a no-brainer for me in my hometown club. And it's in the Midlands where you stayed? Yes, mate. I'm, st- I'm still in the Midlands at the moment, yeah. And that's and that's where your career has, has stayed. Is and at this point, it's, I mean, the Greenwich Morton situation and circumstance of moving and, and not being able to play for Oxford City is is that did that sort of? I mean, was there any point in in this stage of your career where you're like, yeah, I'm done, you know, I'm, I, I want to do other things now? I half said to myself that I can see a spiral. I can see a spiral happening here where. I'm just going down and down and down. And I, and like I say, I'll come to that further, but it, it does come to a point where I say, no, that's enough. Do you know what I mean? And I stopped. Yeah. But there we go. Yeah, you, you did have a career break, didn't you? And then, and then mm-hmm. and that's when you sort of briefly turned up at Supermarine as well, yeah? I went to Nuneaton. I stayed there. Uh, we actually did really well there. We went on about a 14-game unbeaten run. Hmm. Uh, we did really well. And then we went the next season. I actually had a big fallout with the manager. Um, I had a bust-up with him and then ended up doing mutual consent there uh, with the chairman there as well. So <laughs> we then, I then went to um, Hinkley to play for my dad. My dad said, look, I've got the job at Hinkley. Do you fancy coming to Hinkley? I said, look, I think I'm done. He said, "No, no, come and play for me. You know, I'll, you know, I'll get the best out of you." Da da da. I said, "All right, okay." So I went and played, and really enjoyed it. It was a club that's that's very close to my heart, and like I said, in the sense that it's a very run family run club. You know, it, it was it was fantastic, and I said, "Look, you know, I'll come and play." I think we went on again and about a twelve thirteen game on beating run, and it was a case of just playing and enjoying myself and getting. A, he said, "Look, just come and get a smile back on your face and play." So I said, okay, no problem. Um, went and played, and then my dad just, my dad decided to leave the club. I had a had a little bit of a situation where he, he wanted to step away. I said, no problem, that's fine. I I did myself. I said, look, if you're going, I'm going. I'm 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 gonna I'm done now. I, the only reason I was at this club is to come and play for you and get my love back for it. If that's the case, I, I'm not playing. So we, um, I decided to do that. Said to um, said to my missus, I said, look, I want to move back down to Swindon. Swindon's where, I, you know, I want to be. I, I enjoy being down there. I know people down there. I said, look, your family's down there. You know, my little boy was born there. I said, so it's got, 
you know, it mean, you know, it means something. So I said, let's move back down there. Just, just want to be down that way, out the way of everything up here and whatever. Let's just move back down there. So we did that. We moved back down to Swindon, <laughs> and then my dad gets another job um, at Romulus and says to me, "Look, come and play for me." I said, "Look, Dad, I'm living in Swindon. You know, you you you're playing in Birmingham." He said, "Just come and play for me. You know, just just come and travel and turn up." You know, I have one session a week and turn up on a Saturday. I said, "All right, no worries, buddy." You know, but I said, "Listen, I can't, I can't sign and not commit." So I ended up traveling up to Birmingham on a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Saturday. I said, "I can't sign for someone and not commit fully." If I'm there, I'm there. So he said, "I said, oh, do you know what? I'm not going to play. I don't want to play." But anyway, like I said, in between that was a brief spell at uh, Supermarine. I, I got a call and the manager said to me, "Look, will you come in at Supermarine?" I said, "Look, I've got." I don't really have any intentions of playing. He said, look, you know, just come in, see how you feel. So we went in, obviously, we got absolutely pumped. I think it was 5-0 against Biddeford, who were no big shakes. They were no no big side or... And I just thought to myself after the game, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. What what am I... What, how have I gone from a League One goalkeeper to where I am now? It's just a big four from Grace. And I thought, I'm done. I'm done. I can't see a way back. So, you know, I thought I'll take some time out of football, reestablish, you know, rethink about what I want to do and, and and have a rethink on things. And like I said, I went and then played for my dad at Romulus. Um, didn't really want to, if I'm going to be honest, but ended up finding a little bit of love back for it in the sense that I enjoyed playing again. Um, and then again, you know, he, he's left there and, I've left. It was it was it was a case where it just it just literally happened like that, and then um, like I said, Nuneaton come up where I just went and helped out mm. last year because of the financial issue, and then this year, so be it. I'm now um, helping my brother out at Hinkley. And during all of this, you're obviously retraining in a different discipline now. So, so how hard was it juggling the new world of work with mm-hmm. with playing? Um. I've always done my work as as a young kid. I've always I've always learned to do something. Like I said, I always did my education alongside my football. So I always tried to do something that would keep me my mind stipulated, if you like, due to the fact that I wanted to do something else. If any, listen, football don't last forever. Unless you're in in the bigger leagues, you're never going to earn enough money to to last forever. So I always knew that. I needed something as a as a backdrop, so you know I always had something in the background um, with the car sales and stuff that I do. Hmm. That I knew that I was gonna always take that on anyway at some point, just as a more. I even did it when I was at Swindon, but as a you know in my in my spare time. But it was always a case that I was gonna do it, you know, on a more full time basis. The more football panned out, if you like, yeah. So that brings us to the closing stages of this conversation. I think we've 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 covered pretty much everything quite broadly, haven't we? So, um, so when when we close as we close now, what what are those favourite memories, that standout memories for you at Swindon? I think for me, just like you say, going going out there every week when I got when I got the chance to play and. It was a club that meant something to me. You know, I really enjoyed just stepping out onto the field. I felt passionate and I felt, you know, a real pride about playing for Swindon. It was, 
again, it's a, it's a club that means something to me. I, I always look out for the results and, you know, all, I go back down to Swindon quite a lot, obviously, with, you know, my two boys were born there. I, I made sure we actually moved back in time to make sure that my second lad was born there um, <laughs> because we wanted them both to be born there. Obviously, my, my missus is from there. So, you know, it, like I said, it's it's a club that means something to me. I would, um, I just enjoyed being at the football club. It was, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I always, it seems to be like a highlight for goalkeepers because you guys are the first out to warm up yeah. and you get that, that you get that early clap. What, what's yeah. it like? What's it like going down the tunnel knowing that that clap's on its way? Are you just like, don't really think about it or do you go, well, here it comes. So time for me to uh, do the uh, obligatory here. Uh, Applause. Yeah, it was it was always brilliant. Like I said, it, it's, it, it was always good when you when you knew you were going to go out and you remember the same old faces. Do you know what I mean? And it's you know you see the same faces home and away, and it, it was absolutely brilliant. Mm. And you know I used to love it, and I used to uh, you know in my own time, you always used to go go down and down to the disabled fans group and stuff like that, and, and, and you know just just to see everybody and thank them for the support. And you know I've I've, I've been speaking to people lately about going down and seeing everybody again so um i think it's brilliant you know you've got a great set of fans at the football club who appreciate they just want to see hard work passion and commitment to the football club and i think you're going to get that back now and i think that you know richie wellens is doing well there at the moment so i think that you know the good times will come back is hoping. And were you aware during your time at Swindon that you had kind of a, a cult following amongst Swindon fans who who really wanted you to play more? Do you, did, were you aware of that? Uh, not so much. I think that I could see, obviously, I would get quite a, a good few messages on social media that a few fans were desperate for me to play. And, you know, whether that's due to the fact that I'm just, just a generally nice person and I've always had a good rapport with the fans or... You know whether they genuinely thought they they wanted me to do well. I don't know. You know, it is what it is. But you know, I'd always been grateful for my support that I'd had at the football club. And you know, I, I wish I generally wish things would have turned out better there. And I think under different circumstances they would have. Um, I genuinely think the season where Lawrence come in, I I was at my best. I did feel at my best. I think that with a good run of games, I would have done something. But and I was at my best and my fittest. And when I was at my fittest, you know. I know what I was capable of and, and like people keep saying to me now I've not been where I've been for no reason every time somebody says something to me they said if you've not been at Liverpool for no reason you've not played for England for no reason you know you need to you need to find that within yourself and, and do something about it and it's hard to it's hard to to look back and think that you've been where you've been yet you've you've not done you know what I mean I'm, yeah. I am where I am it's it is hard to take it really is right I don't want to end on that note, Ty. Mm. That's a, that's a really sad way to end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always end on a lighter note. On a lighter note, where are your mm-hmm. England caps? My England caps are actually at my mum's house, uh, hung up on the. Um, she's got a picture of me playing against Germany. I think it is hung up on the wall with uh, with my England cap on there. So. That's on there. I've got all my shirts and my pennants and everything else here. They're all in the house. And <laughs> I'm one very disappointed about my Swindon shirt, however, because although you say it on a good note, I actually smashed my Swindon shirt when moving to Nuneaton huh. in the back of the van on the way up here because I've got it framed with a little plaque in it, obviously, from my first ever game for Swindon. 
and it smashed the glass smashed obviously the glass is replaceable but i was just very unhappy that it hit smashed but <laughs> it's replaceable don't worry ty we have to end on a good note give me something good <laughs> positive um on a good note i'm back enjoying my football playing for my brother at the moment i think that i'm working on my fitness at the moment because obviously i've not really done anything for probably a year over me properly neither. in terms of fitness yeah well yeah it's easily done isn't it um <laughs> So I'm just at the moment working on getting myself back fit, working on, uh, I've been in the gym every day, stop, you know, trying to work hard. I've got a program in place that I'm ready to now get myself back fit and start climbing back where I should be. I've got a long time in football. You're a long time retired and I don't want to be looking back on my career thinking I could have and I, I should have and I, I've been there. I don't want to be someone who sits there and goes, I could have done this and I could have done that. I've got to, I've got to act on it. I've got to act quick. So, my aim is to try and get back to as high as I possibly can. Whether we'll see where that takes me, but I'll be aiming to get as high as I can. And I wish you all the best, honestly, mate. That was that was fantastic. Ty, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, mate. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. It's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to see. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.